Today's episode of The Thriller Zone with David Temple is sponsored by The Story Factory and the visionary genre-bending debut novel Grand Theft AI by James Cox. The Matrix meets Blade Runner. Grand Theft AI is available now for pre-order from your favorite bookseller. Hello, and welcome to The Thriller Zone. I'm your host, David Temple. On today's show, I'm thrilled to welcome the dynamic duo of Andrews Wilson. Brian Andrews and Jeffrey Wilson are both Navy veterans, and the writing team behind the Tier 1, the Shepherds, and Webb Griffin's Presidential Agent series. What do you say you and I get in the Thriller Zone? I'm going to... My dog is bothering me, so I'm just going to give her a little hug so she'll leave me alone. Okay, you're a good girl. Okay, you go back to your bed. Is that a uh, doodle? Yeah, she's well. She's half Havanese, half miniature poodle, so a Puvanese, or a Havapoo. You could call her that too. <laughs> Don't mind if I do. Yeah. <laughs> wow, I came in at the right time. Yes. <clears throat> How you doing, David? I'm very good. This is a nice little reunion for me. I hope it is for you guys. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. It We've is. been looking forward to it. Mm-hmm. My wife came in here about two minutes ago, and she she saw me setting everything up. She goes, I'd really love to just kind of sneak in and say, hi, I love those guys. Oh, oh yay! Hey, bring her in. <laughs> I said, uh, yeah, just do it. She's got, she's Zoom call gal. She's like Zoom, 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 back to back. <clears throat> but she might uh, stick her head in here shortly. Cool. I'm, ho- I'm just hoping that my uh, five-year-old does not stick her head in. She's homesick from school. So the daytime interviews are the best for us, obviously, because our kids are at school and it's quiet. Today's my exception, but she's been very good so far. That's awesome. All right. You are hanging with the Thriller Zone. I'm David Temple. I'm with Navy veterans, uh, Brian Adams and Jeffrey Wilson. And this is the writing team. Anybody who knows anything about these guys, it's the Tier 1 series. It's the Shepherd series. It's the Webb Griffin's Presidential Angel series and so much more. And we're going to get to Dark Intercept, of course. But first, I want to get caught up, guys. First of all, hi, big hello, Zoom-wise. Yeah, great to see you, man. It's been a little while. I mean, we've we email and text and stuff like that, right? But it's been a while since we've really caught up. It was Glad November. Glad to be back on the show. Yeah. Well, thank you. I was uh, doing a little uh, little stalking earlier. Um, we're going to get to this later, but I see it had just hit my inbox that you guys sexy cover on the cover of the ITW Big Thrill. <laughs> it's our first Big Thrill cover. And uh, yeah, we took that photograph out in uh, Oregon. We were visiting our publisher, uh, Blackstone. They're the publisher of the Sons of Valor series. And uh, yeah, no, it was a fantastic trip. Took that picture out there in in Ashland. Man, very nice. You guys are posing. It's almost Starsky and Hutch. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. Yeah, yeah except, except now when, when I hear Starsky and Hutch, I'm old enough to have watched it, right? right. But I, can, I can't picture anything except Ben Stiller and Owen Wilson now when they, when they did the spoof of it. And now I'm not sure which one of those two dudes I would want to be. But that's All right. I mean. Well, in all fairness, I'm going back to the original when they were true Thank tough you. guys. Yeah, That's yeah. way better. Yeah, I mean, nothing against those new guys, but that was, uh, that was farcical and the other was... Uh, God, it was a, I don't know if it was a Thursday night or a Friday night and a speeding car and the hip guys. And I mean, that's all it's missing in that photograph of the big thrill, which we're going to sh- show on uh, YouTube. Won't be able to do that on the uh, podcast itself is the um, red car in the background. I'm trying to think of the make and model of that car. And bigger hair. Like we've yeah. <laughs> very big hair. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I was thinking the other day, uh, Brian, I, I don't think I've, ever seen you without a ball cap on yeah well that's because the sun just reflects off my bald head and it's very distracting i think for people watching so i'll just leave the ball cap on nice congrats to the cover that's i mean by the way happy first of september and you're in great company too yeah yeah no it was a thrill to be on the cover it was uh, just uh just something that uh, we'll always be proud of. And like you said, we're in great company. So appreciate Jose interviewing us uh, for the feature article and getting to talk about this new series. That was, was all about uh, Dark Intercept and the Shepherd series. That's what that article is about. 
Thank you, Jeff, for sending this my way. Um, yeah. I had started it on ebook, and by the time it hit, I was uh, about a third of the way in, and I just plowed right through it. We're going to get to this in a minute. It's it's really very good. Um, Thank you. Really enjoyed it. But I do want to do a little something. I, I want to I want to go back in time just a little bit. I'm going to do two things. I want to find out what's the biggest thing that's happened since we talked. We my other podcast was Naked Monday. I'm really kind of focusing on this now. So. Back in November, you guys appeared, and I want to know, almost one year later, how? what's the biggest thing that's happened? How has life changed in that time? It got busy. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you that. Um, you know, obviously, and, and I don't ever want to come across as whining or complaining, because there's nothing worse than, than, than people being blessed with their dream and then complaining about it, right? But um you know, we're writing four series simultaneously now, and um, it is really busy. It's a lot of work, but we just have to keep reminding ourselves we're getting paid a, a decent amount of money here to do something we absolutely love, something that we were doing for free before, right? So um, it's it's a real blessing, but it is it is busy. It's hard to find, you know, the right balance, and there's always something crashing in on you um, to keep your attention focused on what you need to do. The days get a little bit longer, but you know, tier one is still up and running and going. And uh, it now is, it is now being published uh, the subsequent books through Blackstone who also released that shared universe book, Sons of Valor, uh, which came out in June and has done very, very well. We're very excited for that. I think you already know that we have the, uh, the Webb Griffin series, our first installment in his presidential agent series on behalf of the estate is uh, coming out in December. Um, and now this, uh, this, new, this new series, um, which we're super excited about. So, man, we got nothing but good news going on for us. You guys were talking last uh, November about how it was, um, I think, were you telling me that you were doing it was two or three. Was it two or three series at one time? And now you're at four or were you just prepping to be able to do four? Cause you were both saying, Oh my goodness, I, how are we going to pull this off? But evidently. Yeah. It's... Yeah. Well now we're here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I guess we're, I guess we're, we're pulling it off. And you know, the, the really fun thing is that over the next six months, we're going to even have some more exciting announcements that we can't get into now. So there's a lot of, a lot going on in the Andrews and Wilson world. Um, but mostly you, I get to work every day with my best friend doing something that I love to do. Uh, you know, it's, it's the dream. So yeah. we're, we're excited. Brian doesn't get much better than that, does he? No, no. We're like, the Anderson Wilson multiverse is kind of what we're, <laughs> we're trying to pull off right now. Uh, you know, ducking in and out of different uh, dimensions here to try to get all the work, work accomplished. So can you share in a, in a nutshell, kind of how that process works? We covered this back in November, but it was, it was fascinating. And now that we've all three uh, accomplished a fair amount of work in that amount of time, how does that work? So, how do you have four plates spinning simultaneously and keep them all going and straight and timelines? Yes, you didn't. You can't see uh, people listening to the podcast can't see us juggling all those plates, but we are actually literally juggling right now uh, behind <laughs> the scene. It's so awesome. Yeah, every uh, because there's four series, there's always one book uh, in some stage of production. That means like right now, for example, we are writing the rough draft of the third book in the Shepherd series. We're doing copy edits on the second book in the Shepherd series. Uh, we're doing post uh, release, you know, publication and pr pr publicity and promotion on Sons of Valor. And uh, we'll be slipping into DE on another book. And then as soon as we finish the third book in the Shepherd series, next up is gonna be book seven in tier one, we're going to jump into writing that book. So it's just kind of this never ending cycle right now. And we do a lot of the only way we get through this is we do a lot of, uh, uh, you know, handoffs and sharing. Okay, I'm doing this today, you're doing that. And we a lot of communication to make sure that we don't drop any of these balls. Yeah, obviously, it'd be hard to do if there wasn't two of us. Um, and, and, I'm, and I'm not just talking about logistically, but even from a creative standpoint, because you know you're you're a great writer, David. So you know a lot about the writing process. When you're writing, 
you're in the mind of your characters if you're doing it right. You're in that world, you're in that universe. And so the idea of popping in and out of that world and still effectively, efficiently writing is, you know, almost impossible to imagine. But because there's two of us and we really do work as a true team, like we, we are one writer when we're writing a work in progress. Um, what we have is the luxury of when that developmental edit comes in on the other series, when we're only halfway through the next book in a different series, one of us pops out, tackles the first couple of weeks of passing through a developmental edit, and the other guy stays in the work in progress. And so that creative thing keeps rolling, keeps rolling. And then if we have to switch, the handoff usually involves more brainstorming, which you've been doing all along. And then the guy that's coming back into that work, first thing he does is he reads those four or five chapters that were written in his absence and instantly he's back in the story. And so I think that that helps on the creative side is that there's two of us so that we never really leave a project. Half of us leaves a project for a period of time and is able to come back. That makes total sense. And it, uh, I can see how it is, um, you know, we all have outline. There are those who outline and, you know, the pantser plotter uh, theory. Um, if you didn't have some kind of an outline going at all times, you know, or that that reference point, I could see how it would be be like trying to take a, take a trip without a map. But the nice thing is you've always got somebody on your back, watching your back. And uh, that I, I have got to believe that that teamwork is, you know, part of the secret sauce, right? Definitely part of the secret sauce. We talk about that a lot when it comes to writer's block. You know, that's a, a popular question people like to ask authors. You know, how do you deal with writer's block? Do you get it? What do you do? And the truth is, you know, yes, we get writer's block. And no, it doesn't sideline us because we have this beautiful method for dealing with it, which is if I get writer's block, I pick up the phone and I call Jeff. And I'm like, dude, I'm stuck. Uh, here's where Here's where I'm at we could do this, we could do this. And he's like, oh, well, what about this? Have you thought of this? No, I didn't. And so a five minute phone conversation and I'm back in business and vice versa. And we have multiple of those sort of types of conversations every day when the two of us are writing. You know, the world has become this whole Zoom universe. And I often wonder, uh, I was saying to someone the other day who lives not far from here, here in San Diego, and I, it was uh, Caitlin Rother who was um, on my show last week. And I said, man, I, I really wish we could sit down because, uh, you know, my days of radio, I, I would love to be in the studio seeing you and be able to really connect with you and on a different level. And to that point, I wonder how different it is for you guys to be in two different states, going two different directions, two different families, and being able to do this without you know, instant presence. And does it change when you get together? In other words, you sequester for a weekend, you go, Hey, let's get together for a weekend and bang a few extra ideas. Do you see any shift color? Yeah. In what, what an interesting question. I don't think we've ever been asked that. I'll, I'll start by, by saying that, um, thank the good Lord that we don't live in the same town because Brian and I were good friends before and we're better friends now. And our friendship is so goofy and immature that if we were actually in the same building, we would get nothing done. We would, it would be a challenge to get a book a year, much less four. So yeah. um, it's to our advantage because we're so undisciplined and immature that we're not in the, in the same place. But it's an interesting idea, isn't it? This whole, the Zoom universe and does it change the dynamic of the relationship when you are together? I will say that when we get together, it's one of two things nowadays. It's either because we're going somewhere to do something on the business end, like going to Nashville and filming those fun videos with John Rich or going to visit our publisher, doing a book signing somewhere, or it's completely social, getting families together, doing a vacation together. We get our next big one coming up in the, in the spring. And um, so there isn't, I can't think of a time where we've ever gotten together for a period of time, a significant period of time and worked on the, on the writing of a book. Have we ever done that, Brian? I don't think so. Well, we I mean, have we'll ideas around. We always have big, grandiose plans. But never do. Build. And then what happens is we end up, you know, cracking open wine, having family dinner, uh, 
watching Jim Gaffigan, you know, and uh, <laughs> suddenly, you know, all the plotting and planning uh, never happens. But good, a good time is had, I will tell you a that. A good time is had, right. Yeah. Let's take a little detour. Jim Gaffigan, is he not one of the single funniest guys walking the planet? For sure. And I can tell you that even though we've both watched all of the specials separately, when we get together, that's become our silly, goofy things. Once the kids and eventually even the wives have abandoned us and gone to bed, we sit up and have a glass of wine and watch Gaffigan. And then our new favorite is Nate Bargatze, uh, who's from Nashville. Yeah, write him down, dude. He's hilarious. So we've we've now taken to watching those specials. Yeah, stand-up stand up comedy. Where did that come from? All of a sudden, that's all we do when we're together. We have, we have a nice glass of wine and we watch. You know, and I, I grew up in a an industry that was not uh, very church oriented, uh, being radio and TV. And I certainly have uh, got my fair share of naughty sides of things. But here's what I love about Jim Gaffigan. He's squeaky clean and he's equally, if not more hilarious than the guys yeah. who are just potty mouths. Absolutely. And that's what you'll like about Nate too. When you, when you check him out, just a family guy from Nashville, hilarious everyday stuff that everyone can relate to. That's my favorite, my favorite humor. Yeah. Yeah. Now I want to do something. I want to make sure that my feed is coming down the line to you guys. Um, there's something we had a conversation back in November, like I said, at the top of the show, and I went back and listened to the show and I, there were four specific little moments that really stood out to me. And I, I pulled them back out because I wanted to share them with this new audience <clears throat> because so many uh, audience members are both, well, they're celebrated and uh, writers, but there are also some new writers. And uh, they were such four great little recipes for success that I thought, I'm gonna bring them back. So let me make sure that it's feeding uh, down the line to you. The first one, is uh is jeff you're talking about going wide for lack of a better term let's see if this works here i really think that the answer for most of us is you're going to have to be diversified across multiple platforms and spaces and whether it's because you started with a big five and then built a fan base and then released a book independently using that fan base to monetize it or you started out with independent publishing, and that grew you an opportunity to get into a mid-list or big publisher, I don't think it makes a difference. I think what makes the difference is that you're focused on, I can't just lock myself into one of these pools. Right. I need to have something going on in multiple places. Yeah. Do you still feel that way? Have you, has that seasoned any? Yeah. In fact, uh, it's, it, it has now come to come to fruition for us, right? So we're with, uh, you know, we're with Putnam for the Web Griffin. So we're with the Big Five. We've got titles with Thomas and Mercer. We're with Blackstone, who we absolutely adore, who have an exciting new model for storytelling, and we're proud to be part of them. And now, in, now we're with Tyndale House for this series, a faith-based publisher. And so we are doing that whole thing of cross-pollinating and and finding new readers in different pools. But I think another element that we've added to that, that we didn't talk about on that, is you don't have to just do it on the business side of distribution. You can do it on the storytelling side. And so, you know, in, in tier one, we have a very gritty covert operations, super secret task force type story. In Sons of Valor, we have a straight up military JSOC level SEAL team stories. In Tyndale House, we have faith-based um, stories that we can tell. Um, and then we get to do this legacy stuff with the presidential agent series. And over the next year, we'll have some other exciting announcements about other areas that we're, that we're tiptoeing in. Brian has written some amazing science fiction. I've done some supernatural thrillers. So it's not just the business side of it where I think that it's okay to cross-pollinate. I think it's also in sub-genres. And that's something that um, we find the industry to be resistant to. The industry, whatever that means, the faceless industry, right, right. tends to tell writers, you know, you strike it in an area, you got to stay there, right? You got to keep writing that book. That's, that's your brand now. But what we've resisted that and we've tried to, to build our brand as we're a brand of storytellers. We, we're action adventure, right? We're thriller writers. Right. But we don't have to lock ourselves into one subgenre. And, and it's exciting to see that we're correct and that that's working and that readers will follow us from one to the other and we get to meet new people and stuff like that. 
That is the soundbite of the show. Uh, <laughs> one of many ways. Here's why. I'm so excited that you're saying that, Jeffrey. Here's why. Uh, I, I Since I was a kid, personally, hated to be put into the corner, into a box, because let's face it, as a PK, preacher's kid, you're constantly told what to do, how to do it. Uh, it, it so it's always, I've always been resistant to it. So um, also growing up in a hyper creative world, um, I've put my hands on a lot of different things, television, film, acting, writing, <clears throat> radio. And I thought, you know, it, isn't our time on earth about telling stories in this in in this crew right here telling stories being creative entertaining the masses and for you to say and to confirm that feeling of like no 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 you don't have to just do this you don't have to just do this you can do all of this i love that so much because no more you're going to you're going to appreciate a different taste of wine or a craft beer or a cocktail you're going to you're going to enjoy a particular sport for one thing you're going to play golf because you like the camaraderie what right so you're going to have all these various flavors and colors and aspects of things that you enjoy so why wouldn't it be the same in storytelling so i i applaud it i, I got a little geeked out there but i'm just so excited about it <laughs> well it even comes down to what jedediah johnson learns in this new book right? right and that is that you're gifted for purpose if you have an intellectual so i'm i'm partnered with one of the most intelligent and intellectually curious people i've ever met it's it's yeah no it's it's if you have a guy and you and you too Dave but but Brian has has this giant brain that he brings into the room coupled with this childlike curiosity I don't mean to talk about you right in front of you and I usually only say insulting things about him in public but <laughs> um, but he was he was designed that way for purpose right he was given that for a reason and to try to limit it in any way on the creative side of our business would be insane like he's fascinated by technology he, he's in love with the psychology of the human condition he's a military veteran and he's got that so why not take advantage of that if you've been built that way if you've been gifted that way then it's almost an obligation to pursue it and to use those right Yes, yes, yes. And Brian, tell me how that hits you. Yeah, I think, I mean, we've had these discussions. We didn't want to be boxed. And we, to use like, uh, for you, I think this will resonate to use a film metaphor. You know, if Warner Brothers, what if Warner Brothers executives said, we will only make one type of movie and it's domestic suspense, for example. We can make nothing else. I mean, that would be a terrible business strategy, right? Right, exactly. So we sort of look at ourselves the same way and say, you know, we are creatives, we're storytellers. So why do we only have to, why can we only tell one type of story? So, you know, our brand is about entertainment and we're going to tell the types of stories in lots of different lanes because I don't think you, I think it's quite audacious to tell the, the readers too that they can only enjoy one type of story from each author, right? So, right. you know, we'll let them decide <laughs> which of our which of our tangents, which of our lanes uh, that they want to participate in. And hopefully the answer is they want to be along for all those rides. And we're very lucky because we have been able to uh, uh, surround ourselves sometimes through Providence with people that will indulge that, right? Like. Yeah. When when Karen Watson from Tyndale House met us and we brainstormed this project, she didn't say, oh, were well, there are those people that write those gritty, violent, you know, strong language military thrillers? We can't have them at Tyndale House. She got to know us and she said, hey, these are multidimensional people who have a story to tell that's perfect in our space. Let's move forward. And she took a chance on that of coming sort of a little outside of our brand. Uh, and the same is true with Tom Colgan and Blackstone has been incredibly indulgent. Uh, with our, our schizophrenia type um, creativity. So that's part of the secret for us was a little bit of luck and providence that we wound up surrounded by people who would indulge us in that area. I love this, <clears throat> but the brand is storytelling. Now, I, I don't want to lose this because I want a, a conversation about big traditional, what used to be top or big seven, big five, big four, it's becoming big three before we know it and self-publishing. But I wanna to go to cut number two, back to uh, Brian's recipe for success. Now, 
If you're a writer, listen to this thing. This it struck me so many times ever since, and I'm going to play it. And then, uh, Brian, I want you to come back around and share if your theory has changed at all over the year. I think to be a successful writer, you need to be an educated writer. And you need to understand all the phases because this is a business. You need to understand all the phases of this business. And there's no better way to do that than publishing your own book. Because now you suddenly have to say, okay, I have to have a budget. How do I, how much is my budget for this? Am I going to get this professionally copied? Am I going to do it myself? What about the cover art? What about the promo copy? How do you write promo copy? What resonates with people? What are the other authors doing? How do I get blurbs? How do I market this book? Do I pay for sponsors? ads? Do I do a book bub? So I think every author should try to self-publish a book because then when you, if you do get picked up by a publisher or if you are being published by a publisher, you can have much more informed and intelligent conversations with their publicity and marketing people. And you want to be able to go into those conversations where you actually have a seat at the table because you're knowledgeable about the space that you're going to be competing in. Bam. Mm. Gosh, I was smart back then. What happened? Yeah, what? where's that guy? Where, where, where did that guy go? I want to write with that dude. <laughs> <laughs> dude, that's just friggin' juicy. I mean, that that is a, that's a classroom in a, in a soundbite right there. Well, I, I appreciate that. And I think, you know, I, I still stick to that sentiment. I mean, this is very much born of our military background because in the Navy, they're not going to let you a drive or captain a submarine until you know what every single watchstander on that boat is doing. You're not going to be a good leader until you understand what all your direct reports are doing. And so you take that same sort of model to the publishing industry. You should become familiar with all these different elements of publishing because it is a business and you need to understand that all the people, if you are traditionally published, they are not magicians. They are not wizards. They can't wave their magic wand and make your book a number one New York Times bestseller, especially if you are a debut author. So you need to understand what their limitations are, what they're capable of doing. And then more importantly, how can you help them help you? That famous line from Jerry Maguire, help me help you. Okay, that's, that's what every author should be saying to their publisher. Help me help you. I will do whatever I can to invest in our joint success. There's so many things that rush through my head. I mean, having now, I, I, was, I was talking about this on a recent show. I'm working now, I've just begun my 10th story, 10th book. And it's all been, uh, it's been a, about a 10 year stretch. And I have learned every single step. I think that's part of the reasons I resonate so much with that pitch right there, that that uh, soundbite is because it's so specific. And, uh, you know, when it was started out, I, I had to write it and then I had to figure out how to edit it. And, uh, you know, what, what makes a good cover and what makes a good blurb and how do I do that? And how do I write the description on the back? <clears throat> and I think if you're, if, I think if a writer does not do that in today's space, they're doing themselves a great disservice because, to your point, they're not really learning. First of all, they're not learning all the aspects that they need to learn. But secondly, and more importantly, if that when that day comes, if traditional publishing is what you want, then you're so far ahead of the game and you're showing up prepared and they're going to go, oh, this guy's legit. He knows he he's done his homework and now they're more uh, ready to really kind of put the heat behind you. I think what I have heard people talk about, and I'm going to shut up here in a second, let you jump in, is I've heard uh, guys who like only fantasize about being traditionally published is they think that there's going to be this magic thing that's going to happen, that they're going to get that book accepted. Then all of a sudden, hey, I can just kind of kick back and take it easy. When in fact, that's not the case at all, because from what I have learned, correct me if I'm wrong, these guys are jumping in and going, okay, now go. Here's the tools, but go. We got other things to do. Yeah, that's right. Th those days are gone. Um, the If you want to be successful, well, first of all, just common sense that no one's more invested in your success than you are, right? right so right. you should want to partner and be part of it. And uh, obviously, you know, the other part of what Brian was saying is you also got to know your limitations. If you absolutely suck at cover art, you need to find someone who doesn't and partner with them. You got to know what you're good at and what you're not. Sure. And exploring it through independent publishing is one way to do that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that's that's the secret for success. 
nowadays. They, there's an expectation, partially because social media is part of a platform now. Um, there's an expectation from the publisher that you are going to be engaged actively in the success of this book. And so if you can start the conversation by saying, hey, here's our network, here's our relationships, here's our connections, here's our strengths and weaknesses. Hey, we write good articles or we don't write good articles. Don't ask us to write an article. But being able to share that up front just empowers them to do the best job for you uh, that they can do. Um, and you have to be able to bring something um, because nobody wants your success more than you, right? Right. And to every aspiring author, you're going to hear this term platform. You might know what it means. It might sort of feel a little nebulous. What is this platform? Does it mean that I have to be, you know, like a movie star? Are we talking Taylor Swift, Beyonce? They're the only ones that have platforms. No, a platform basically means everything that Jeff just said. You know, what do you stand for? What do you bring for the table? Uh, to the table and, and you know what can you do to further your joint success the publisher's success in your own and you know i think that what we're doing right now you know this is three authors talking but we're also lifting each other up that that's an easy place to start as your platform for us for example our a big portion of our platform is you know veteran community we're both navy veterans uh, and we relate very well to veterans and we support veteran causes and we support veteran small business. And by us working together, it's a force multiplier. You know, we have, we promote the uh, bone frog blend coffee, not just because it was founded by Navy SEAL Tim Cruikshank, but also because he's a fantastic dude. Look at that. There we go. Makes a great product, you know, great human being. But, you know, we can talk about his coffee, which we love drinking. But he can also talk about Sons of Valor because that's a book that he's read of ours and we're, we're getting the word out there. So you see this in social media, you see the writing community, writers coming together to help support each other. That's a platform. There yeah, you go. I agree. <laughs> I, yeah, I love it. I love the bone frog swag. That's awesome. You got uh, it. And you know, it's, it, it's, if there's people listening right now, young writers who are like, well, good for you, I'm not a military veteran. The writing community is very similar to the military community in that, I mean, you all hear horror stories. We've all met a couple of outliers that are self-centered bastards who aren't going to help anybody. But that is so rare in writing, and especially I have found in the thriller community. And so, you know, whatever community you're writing in, be in that community. Don't just sit at home and write. You got to engage and network. And, you know, that, the word network has gotten a bad name. Like, like you're going to find people to use for your own. That's not what networking means in, right. in, in this conversation. It means forming relationships with people who will, together, you can be the force multiplier Brian is talking about and lift each other up. So, for example, we're very active at uh, ITW, International Thriller Writers. Um, we go to Thriller Fest. We like to participate in the Craft Fest and the Thriller Fest things and meet other writers. But the social aspect of that is where we formed relationships with our fellow writers um, that result in us helping one another and bouncing to the point where we'll get calls from our friend writers now that say, hey, I got this chapter I'm working on and um, we've got this X, Y, and Z and I'm not sure what to do. do you, I know you've got some experience there. What do you think the character should do? I don't roll my eyes and go, oh, I can't believe you're wasting my time. I'm happy to help them because they would do it for me or tweeting about a new release or doing a cover blurb, those sorts of things, that's relationship based. And so when we talk about networking, when we talk about being a community, that's what we're really talking about. And so that I don't jump off of, because we're we're covering so much great material, I wanna jump in here with cut number three, which is uh, Jeff, you're talking about, uh, I want you to, you're talking to my former audience about a multiple strategy approach that's super solid and worth repeating. So here we go. We were very intentional about saying, well, we really want to be over here, like being with a Blackstone, being with Putnam obviously is amazing. Um, but we need to uh, we need to have a, some representation here too, because many times there's those readers, they're in one or the other. Mm -hmm. There's people that only go to Barnes and Noble and pick up a physical book and buy it. And there's people that haven't been in a bookstore in 15 years because everything they buy is on Amazon. But if they find you at Thomas and Mercer on Amazon, they will, and they like you, they they will then discover your work elsewhere and vice versa. And so we think that you just sort of have to be in multiple spaces. Which we've yeah. kind of said, but that's one of those morsels I wanted to come back to. Yeah, no, and we, we definitely 
believe that wholeheartedly. I, you know, and now that we're actually living it out, we're seeing the we're seeing the fruits of that labor. And it's it you know maybe it was a theory when we recorded that. Uh, it's definitely something that we've proven now. And my last point, Brian, talking about uh, some vital points of social media. Then we're going to get into dark intercepts. So here we go. Number cut number four. There's a lot of people out there who are happy to take an author's money, you know, with the hopes, because everybody, especially when you're first starting off, you just have this idea, this aspiration. Well, if I can just get it, the word out there to enough people, you know, then, then it'll catch fire and grassroots and it'll spread and it'll become a bestseller and everybody will hear about me. So I can plow all this money into this first book because I'll make it back from the second book. And I, I think our experience is that that's not true. <laughs> and there's a lot of people that are going to, try to coerce new authors into believing that 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 is reality and they'll happily take your money. So I think you have to be a little cynical and a lot motivated uh, when you approach social media. Still feel that way too, right? Yes, right? I think. And I think the landscape is changing. And it's very fragmented. So you're going to have lots of people trying to take your money in lots of different places. You know, you're going to have social media consultants, you're going to have developmental editors, you're going to have publicists, especially, you know, if you're going with a smaller house that might not be able to offer these services to you, you know, you might be hearing these terms and feel compelled that you need to do these things. And, you know, uh, in, in some ways you do, but you need to be educated about them and you need to be very judicious about it and make good choices. All right, now let's get to the real juicy stuff. Uh, not that this has not been juicy, it's super juicy, but we're going to get a bit juicier. <laughs> so Mystery and Suspense Magazine says, Dark Intercept is a fantastic blend of supernatural thrills, crisis of faith, and military thriller all rolled into one. And I'd say that's probably absolutely, quite possibly the best way to put it. Mm -hmm. So why don't we start out the gate with, tell us the magic of what I feel like is a hybrid between a, kind of a tier one military thriller and kind of a, uh, a Tim LaHaye or a T.L. Payne kind of a story that's spiritual, supernatural, which are its own two different worlds. I mean, let's, let's talk about this because this is a, a, a vast departure and I, I can see quite quickly how it's going to be its own whole new universe. Uh, Jeff, you want to take it? Sure. So, um, yeah, it is. You definitely picked up on the on the cross genre, right? Remember when that was a buzzword like five or eight years ago, <laughs> the cross genre aspects of this novel. Um, and I think that if you read if you read the descriptions, it probably actually makes that cross genre thing seem bigger than it is. Um, and, and I don't say this to comfort our readers so that they won't be worried that this isn't what they're looking for. But because I think that, you know, in the end, if someone were to pick this book up and be blinded to who wrote it, if you're an Andrews and Wilson fan, you read this book, you'll be, you'll be 20 pages in, you'll be like, this seems like an Andrews and Wilson book. So our challenge here was to write that action adventure, character driven, relationship building story, but add an element. So rather than thinking of it as moving to a different space, we sort of like to think that we took what we already do and added a layer to it. Um, and what, what I mean by that is, as you alluded to, there is this um, faith-based supernatural element that's not subtle, like it's, it's, a, it's a real part of this story. Yeah. Um, and a lot of readers might say, oh, I don't really like supernatural stuff. And, and I get that, I've written both um, and you don't really see them hybridized very much. But I believe we found a balance here of blending those genres together in a way that because it's driven by this character of Jedediah Johnson is very, very palatable for readers on both sides of that. People that love supernatural thrillers, I think will really enjoy this. People that have liked our other military thrillers and covert operations thrillers will find that it's a layer on top of those things that they're used to, action adventure, Navy SEAL, fighting a evil, trying to find this poor kidnapped girl. Um, but it was a little bit different for us at the outset for, okay, how are we going to find a balance? How will we blend these things together in a way that makes it feel unified? Do you agree with that, Brian? Yeah, I do. And I think, you know, for us, one of the fun parts is when you look at, when you read a tier one series and you're in that spooky world of the intelligence community with direct action from operators, right? 
you, you can't help but sometimes wonder, you know, is there something else going on here? You know, we always talk about, we use the metaphor in tier one about Dempsey and as he advances, he keeps getting to peel back layers of the onion. And every layer you peel back, you, you discover something new that you sort of sensed might've been there, but you just couldn't quite see. And, and I think that what Jeff's saying is, this is just another layer in that type of story. You know, Jedediah Johnson has been living in John Dempsey's world for 15 years, but now suddenly he's gonna peel back a layer that he sort of sensed was always there. And he's sort of been dipping his toe in and out of you know, his career, trying to deny it, trying to pretend it's not there, but it is there. And when he gets to peel back that layer and he immerses himself in it, it's quite a shock for him. And it's not something that he accepts right away either, right? You know, you're, you're reading it, you've read it. He oscillates back and forth. You know, can I trust my own senses? Can I trust my own intellect? Can I trust my, my faith? What is this really going on? And I think that that resonates with people because we all feel those things in our daily lives. Sometimes we feel that there's a hand at work. You know, is it just coincidence that I met this person? Is it just coincidence that this opportunity presented itself to me at just the right time? And I think that that's sort of what we're trying to incorporate into this series. Yeah, I think if you if you if you think about it this way, we all when we write these thrillers talk about warrior's intuition and you know that spidey sense that something bad is around the corner. I can't see anything that tells me, but I just know. And so the premise that we used here to build that element is is sim as simple as this: What if that is something more? than just intuition? What if that is something that involves this unseen spiritual warfare realm that affects everyday normal people and they are more or less aware of it being there? And so that's how we tried to weave it into the story. Well, it's interesting because you, there's a, at first I'm like, oh, it's, you know, everyone says, oh, my gut says this, my intuition says right. this. Then you go, <clears throat> That in that inside voice that always, oh, well, you probably shouldn't do that. Well, <laughs> so then it makes you ask, is that inside voice? Is that intuition? Is that gut? Are those all the same? Is it God, a higher power, etc.? And that's why I bought into it, because it's that inner voice. Back to your point about a layer, adding that inner, acknowledging the inner voice yeah. is adding that layer. And I, I thought it was pretty magical, actually. You can comment on that, or I can jump to the next point. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Let's I'm not talk, talk to you out of believing we're magical. I guess. Yeah. You're magical, sir. Magical. Let's talk about the Watchers and the Shepherds. Um, explain those two groups and what they mean uh, for the readers who have not had the opportunity to grab this book yet we can but i think we have to do it a little bit carefully okay. simply because you don't really learn everything about these two groups until really actually until uh dark angel the second book which comes out next april um you only just sort of get to meet them um as we're moving along by the end of the book right and so we have to be a little bit careful about not throwing a spoiler out that'll ruin some of the suspense. But okay, fair enough. So let me let me let me do it this way. We'll we'll pose it to you and the and the listeners the way we did to each other when we were brainstorming it, which is this: What if? Uh, and because we always start with a what if. We talked about sure. that last time, right? So what if all of the horrible things that we see in our modern world, the the wars, the the war on terror, the terrorism that exists, World War II, Hitler you know, murdering millions and millions of people. What if that isn't just man is bad? What if there's something else? What if there truly is an unseen war between good and evil that rages all around us and affects mankind and his ability to choose right from wrong? If that's true, might there not be both an organization on the dark side that is keen on destroying man and pulling him away from God. And wouldn't there also be an organization, let's say, maybe they would call themselves the shepherds, 
might there not also be an organization on the other side that is working behind the scenes, unseen, unnoticed, informally financed by governments and churches to combat that evil. And so that's sort of the what if premise that we started with, and that's what you see growing, but it grows over the first two or three books before it really comes to fruition. And so we don't want to spoil too much more than that. Okay, fair enough. I hope I didn't spoil anything by bringing that no, up. No, I don't think so. No, no. Oh, okay, it's, a, good. it's a great part of the story. And yeah, okay. oh, for sure. I will tag on one comment, but it's not a spoiler. But it is a metaphorical theme in this book. There's a lot of themes in this book, but one of them relates to the watchers. So when you think about children, you know, Jeff and I are both fathers. I have three daughters and uh, our daughters, uh, two of our daughters are the same age and he has one younger than, than my other two daughters, but we have young children. But I think the point I'm trying to make here is that, you know, when you're, when you're a parent, you get to observe your children interacting with adults. You get to listen to what they have to say afterward. And, you know, sometimes, you know, it's funny, you'll, you'll come home from some event or something and a kid will say something like, you know, that he wasn't a very nice man. You know, I don't think he's a nice person, you know? And I think, you know, a lot of times kids have this, naivety but also they're very perceptive right they haven't become cynic cynics uh they, they haven't become jaded they really look at people uh at face value whereas we might make excuses for for someone's behavior or we might write it off but they don't they, they purely observe it and the, the watchers are this metaphor they're sort of uh, a moral compass or barometer for good and evil in the story Okay. I dig it. I like that. That was yeah. well said, Brian. And you, well you and you did the dance with the spoiler too. Like he did yeah. that's perfect. I think yeah. that big brain of yours is really working. Yes. <laughs> Get hot. Take my hat off soon to cool it down. Oh. Um all right. I, I want to be sure that I be respectful of your time, so we're gonna try to keep it really super tight here. But uh I did have this one question. When you two were designing this book it's clear that, you know, supernatural was in your mind, but were you, did you purposely set out going, oh, because I know you're believers. Did you set out with, let's, let's go for a faith audience or did you go, let's, let's, let's leave it at that. Uh, because were you aiming more at like a military thriller audience with hopes of merging a faith audience or did, or, or we go back to that other comment where we were just adding a layer. Well, for sure, there's a faith element, right? And it's yeah. it's it's not it's not covert. It's a no, it's super. Overt, it's an overt theme through it. Um, but we were highly intentional about making sure that the that the story is accessible to everybody. That people that are you know that faith is an important part of their life. People that are uncertain about faith. People that are agnostic or atheist. All of them can see the story because it's told through a a, a relatable human condition, for lack of a better term. We all have these questions and how they get answered for Jedediah Johnson may not be the same way they're answered for one of our readers, but the question is relatable and his struggle with the questions are relatable. And so to that extent, while yes, it, it was definitely meant to have these faith elements in it, it was also intentionally structured so that it would be very accessible and enjoyable for anybody, no matter what their faith or lack of might be. Uh, that they would relate to and enjoy the story. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna clearly step on a toe right here when I go. This is not a Kirk Cameron book. No, <laughs> no. And and I want to actually say something about that, David, because um, we are so grateful for Tyndale House. I know I said that before, but we're so grateful for Tyndale House for embracing this. You know, we when we began this discussion. Uh, and we can talk another time about the bizarre series of events that led to this uh, that that feel uh, provincial or divine to us. Um, but when we first began this conversation and they said that they wanted, you know, they were prepared to grow adventure, thriller, fiction in their brand. They wanted to make books more accessible to their male readership. They had all these goals. And when we were in discussion, we said, look, we can do that for sure. But you have to understand 
that means we got to write how we write. Like we can't take an action adventure thriller story about a Navy SEAL and make it nonviolent or make him, you know, passive, uh, you know, the, the Kirk Cameron, uh, I relate to that. If we, if we make it, if we dumb it down and are maternalistic in protecting our viewers from graphic violence or a little bit of light language, I mean, this book is not offensive in any way, but if we, if we do that, then we're not going to write a story that's going to achieve your goal because we're men of faith. And I went and saw the last whatever movie and, you know, mission, I watched all the mission impossible and I read you know, Stephen King and I read these things because it's entertaining and I enjoy it and it's exciting sure. and it's adventuresome. So God bless Tyndale for saying, yeah, we agree. We think that you're right. We think that we need to make, you know, what they're, they're definitely a Christian fiction publishing house, right? We want to make faith fiction accessible to everybody by making, allowing you to make it gritty and realistic. And so we couldn't be more grateful to Tyndale house for embracing that idea. Yeah. I, and I applaud Tyndale. It's brave. I, I, I like the fact that, and part of what you're hearing uh, under my subcontext is the color of my upbringing. So when I make a somewhat snide comment about Kirk Cameron, it's only because, well, you got it. But my point is the fact that you, you know, you're, you're making your craft that also happens to have, oh, a faith aspect, right? Much like someone might, uh, a sports car driver drives really fast. Oh, he also likes to play golf, which is the exact opposite. It's the color of the personality. So to that same point, I like the fact that they're doing this and that they're saying to you guys, hey, we know the world in which you lived and we respect that and we welcome that. We also like the fact that you're believers, so you're adding that element on top of it. So I think it's a it's brilliant uh, move. It, it takes a lot of trust. You, you know, exactly. you think about those corporate retreats where they get everybody together to do these team building exercises and you have you stand there and you gotta put your arms on your chest and close your eyes and lean back and fall and hope that the people there, these strangers, will catch you. And I think that this is sort of like that, you know, publishing is a little bit like that, especially a new relationship. You know, Jeff and I are expecting Tyndale, you know, we're trusting these people to catch us and, and take care of us as we launch this series. But the same is true for them. You know, their hand, they're, they're risking a lot and they're trusting us to go out there and represent their publishing brand and their ethos. So, you know, there's mutual trust and a lot of hope and a lot of respect here. Anytime that you launch a new series, especially one like this, that, you know, is deemed a little bit risky for, you know, the publisher getting into this new lane, military men's action fiction. Military men's action fiction. There you go. Yeah. Like yeah. All right. I, I do. I'm going to completely change channels in one sense because I've been watching, you know, we're, I've been pimping the swag here in the background with bone frog coffee. And, uh, and I've been, I watch every single video you guys do with the redneck Riviera <laughs> whiskey with, um, John rich. Yeah. Uh, that's big and rich, right? Yeah. 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 Well, you and know, Lone my Star. past Lone What's Star that? back in the day, Dave, oh, remember, oh. remember Lone Star? Oh, sure. Uh, you're talking to a country music morning guy so when i heard john which i'm like that's gotta be big and rich so let's talk about that what uh, uh brian i was <laughs> i was watching you make i think it was on instagram i'm a big stalker um <laughs> making your uh sons of valor craft cocktail and uh i gotta admit it looks very refreshing <laughs> So we've got to give all the credit in the world to Alyssa, who's a bartender and mixologist at Redneck Riviera in Nashville. Um, we had this great opportunity. John Rich is uh, not only is he a country music star, he is a huge supporter of veteran causes and he's a philanthropist and he's just a hell of a guy. And uh, so he was he was so wonderful. And, and, and we went down to Nashville and and we met John and in person and we got to shoot these uh, fun little promo videos where we're poking fun at our brothers in the Air Force and the Navy, but it's all in good fun. And, and the whole purpose of this kind of goes back again to that idea of, you know, veteran causes, our platform. We just want to help raise awareness 
um, for Folds of Honor, which is the charity that John supports, and Seal Legacy Foundation, because these are two great organizations that really focus on the families of, uh, of men and women who've served. And, and so having a little fun, goofing off, Sons of Valor cocktail, it's just a way for us to help, you know, get the word out there that, hey, you know what, we're, we're supporting these, these organizations. We don't make any money from selling these cocktails and stuff like that. So. And the same, the same for you, you were showing the, the bone frog stuff. You know, what made us decide to, to partner with Tim? Initially, it was just a desire for a veteran to help another veteran. And, you know, their, their company was new and, and in the early growth phase. And we reached out and said, hey, how can we help you? Like, can we get you some awareness? Can we, you know, tweet about you? And from that formed a relationship back to the original conversation about networking, right? right. We just became friends. And so when he came to us and said, you know, we would love to do a Sons of Valor blend of coffee. Um, would you guys be interested in doing that? And, you know, we can use the two platforms to cross promote one another and uh, that we'll use the, the proceeds to support charities that we, that we support and you can do what you want with your share or whatever. And we like, we don't want to share. What we want is what you want. We want to lift other veterans up. And so all of the proceeds uh, on our side for the revenues from this coffee go to Seal Legacy Foundation and Seal Kids and the other organizations. So this is just a great example of how you have to be in community. Yeah, it's good for business, but you know what it's really good for? It's good for your soul. It's exactly. good for your soul to have done something for a fellow veteran. It's good for your soul to partner with other people, to do good for the community, for families left behind when someone makes the ultimate sacrifice. I mean, it's just good for your soul. And so yeah. that's more those things bore out of, I think. And I love how a lot of the guys, and uh, you know other guys that are in the business doing the same thing, the cross-pollination of marketing and so forth. I love it. I, I, everybody wins because uh, coffee brand X gets to capitalize on this writer's uh, uh, success and vice versa. So I love that. So you got you got Bone Frog Coffee. Uh, I think I heard something about Bone Frog Wine. Did I hear that? Oh, yes, you did. Bone Frog Cellars. They have... so. Here's what Tim says that cracks me up. Remember this, Brian? He says, look, when you're a Navy SEAL, not only do you launch a business at the beginning of a pandemic, you launch two businesses. At the beginning. <laughs> right? So he's got arguably the best coffee on the market, but they have bone frog sellers. And I got to tell you, so here's my confession. Yeah. Um, I'm a wine snob. Like I, I just, it, it's gotten ridiculous. Like I am very particular about what I drink. And so when he said, oh, we have this wine and blah, blah, blah. Maybe you could try it and talk about it. Well, I'm going to send you some. And I was like, great. I don't really yeah. want to drink the Navy SEALs wine. It's going to be garbage, right? right? So he sends us these bottles. Dude, it's like, I, I'm not a big Merlot guy. I like the big heavy stuff. But he has a Merlot that is literally the best Merlot I've ever had in my life. And we've been out to California. We've done the tour. We've done all of that incredible wine and here's why because he knows as a seal that you can't be the expert in everything but what you can do is surround yourself by the experts in everything and so he has just brought it to another level so i'm glad we had an opportunity to talk about them and what they got going on because they're amazing well and yeah i can't leave this conversation without saying i'm a huge and i live in the capital of the craft beer movement so it, there's got to be a bone frog craft beer <laughs> Not right. yet, but we can talk to Tim about it. Yeah. Can I please help uh, market and brand that for you guys? I'm, yeah, or at least be a taste tester. <laughs> it's the least I can do, guys. <laughs> and then, of course, uh, I, I know you've been following this trend. Everything's becoming craft now, craft gin and craft vodka. So I'm saying, well, there's got to be a bone frog vodka and a bone frog gin. I mean, why stop there, right? Well, you can find you can find your vodka. Go to... Uh, our good friend, uh, Chris Peranto, he's, he's got his own veteran brand of vodka now. And I wish I could remember the name of it, Chris. I apologize that, I, that it's escaping me right now. But find Tonto online, go to Battleline, uh, which is the name of their podcast. And I'm sure they have links to it. But um, yeah, you can find almost anything, right? And you can find a veteran doing almost all of it somewhere. I love it. And uh, God, I just love it. I think everyone should get behind that. As we wrap it up, I'm going to do a couple of questions that I like to do. Uh, just uh, fun funsies that gets uh, my 
listeners and to the heads of you guys. Do you, when you're writing, and we know what your work ethic is like, do you write with music or do you like to write in silence? I have an author playlist. It's all uh, soundtracks from like, uh, you know, big movies, you know, really well done stuff. James Newton Howard and John Williams and stuff like that. So I sort of have that on a pretty low volume, you know, just sort of in the background, because I think one of the great compliments that, you know, we get sometimes you'll see in our Audible reviews or Amazon reviews is, wow, I really feel like I'm in a movie when I read these guys' books. And so I feel like we do write cinematically and that helps me sort of get into that place of writing cinematically. And I actually write in silence. I, uh, not total silence, like it, that would be oppressive for me. Uh, this time of year is hard for me because it's so hot outside where I live that I have to write inside. But I generally, seven or eight, if not nine months out of the year, um, I sit on my lanai and I listen to the waterfall in my pool splashing into the water and the crickets outside and the tree yeah. frogs. That's my music. I, I can't have anything else. I love music. But if it's on, I listen to it. Sure, sure. <laughs> I can't not. So yeah, I can't have I can't have lyrics. It just yeah. needs to be instrumental. Yeah, hundred percent with you. And do you? Uh, I here's another my favorite, and we'll wrap it up here. You guys are uh, stranded on an island, or you're getting ready to take off to a, a mission, and you grab your your pack, and you get to shove you know, one book and one CD in there. And you're going to be, you're going to be reading that book for quite some time, or it could be a weekend and one CD you're going to be listening to. Uh, Brian, you first, uh, what's the book and what's the CD? And for those kids who are listening, well, who don't, don't know CD is. I, I haven't <laughs> had a chance to read this one here. So I'll just pull it up. This is uh, Josh Hood's Treadstone Exile. So it's on my TBR pile. It's the next book on my TBR pile. So I want to read this one. Okay, and then um, as far as the CD, I, I, I hate to say it, but I got to go back to my author playlist simply because uh, that will allow me to work on vacation. And unfortunately, <laughs> yes, right now I am one of those guys. I, I, we've got too much to do, so I do have to work sometimes on vacation. Yeah, Jeff. So if I only had one, it's going to sound so trite. Um, I, I, I'm going to have to bring two because if I only brought one, I would definitely bring my Bible because I do that daily and it's hard for me to get my day started without a little time in scripture. So I'm going to have to have that and uh, almost anything that Don Bentley wrote. Uh, so whatever he last wrote that I hadn't read that day, I'm probably yeah. going to, I'm probably going to bring that. And in, in terms of the CD, it's going to be someone you may or may not heard of. It's a uh, faith-based artist. His name is Mason Velaz, V-E-L-O-Z. He is my new favorite Christian artist. He has got such a range, such a diversity of music. He's incredible. People can find him by searching Mason Vilas. He's got a website. The other reason I love Mason is, as you know, David, my, my daughter, my young daughter is a singer, uh, sings in a praise and worship band, and he spent so much time teaching her. We were so lucky to actually meet him and, and spend some time with him. So wow. incredible artist. That's who I would bring. His music is also very, very soothing for me. Nice. Well, you guys, thank you so much. I know I've probably gone a little bit over and you're stacked and packed and you're, ah, that's okay. but man, I, I've been looking forward to this. I, I really think the world of you guys without trying to be too gushing, but your, your supreme talents, you're multifaceted. You're just solid individuals. I thank you for your service and thank you for your time on the show. Oh my gosh, it's our pleasure. David, it's, it's so conversational with you. It doesn't feel like work at all. We really enjoyed it. Anytime. <laughs> Anytime. And for any of your fans out there, you know, if you want to learn more, please go to our website, andrews-wilson.com, and you can sign up for our newsletter. We will not spam you. Just a couple of uh, updates a year about our different projects and things that are going on. If you're interested in supporting some of these businesses, you can go. We do have a gear website. There's a link on there. You can click on the gear. It'll take you over. You can get a ball cap. You can get... Uh, a link to the coffee. You can get a bottle breacher, stuff like that to support other veteran businesses. And last but not least, please follow us on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter. Our handles are pretty easy to find. Be Andrews J. Wilson on Twitter and Andrews and Wilson on Facebook and Instagram. So I'll, I'll throw add one last thing about the newsletter. You really want to sign up for the newsletter this year. There's at least 
two really big announcements coming in the in the upcoming months. And wouldn't you like to be the first one to know? Yes, we would. <laughs> Man, you're getting good this teasing stuff, boy. <laughs> Oh, uh, Andrews Wilson on the Thriller Zone. It's been an honor, and uh, we wish you nothing but the biggest success. Thanks, David. The honor was ours. A big salute and thank you to Brian Andrews and Jeff Wilson. And if you like military thrillers with a heart, pick up a copy of Dark Intercept. Now, I hope you'll make plans to catch next Friday's Thriller Zone when my special guest will be DEA agent and big-time author J. Todd Scott. He's got more dark and gritty stories than you can shake a stick at. And his latest book, Lost River, is chock full of gritty murders and a story that will haunt you for days. As I sign off this week, I hope you'll do me a small favor. Besides telling your friends about this podcast, I'd be so grateful if you'd share this on your favorite social channels. And if you enjoy YouTube videos, would you subscribe to my channel? All right, thanks. And that is it for now. But I'll see you next time on The Thriller Zone. The Thriller Zone has been presented by The Story Factory and the visionary genre-bending debut novel Grand Theft AI by James Cox. The Matrix meets Blade Runner. Grand Theft AI is available now for pre-order from your favorite bookseller.